We live in an age of anxiety. It's like an illness. You can't sleep. You don't laugh anymore. Stress is your constant companion. The reality is, there's a lot to worry about. Loved ones get sick. People lose their jobs. Friends get cancer. Families struggle. So we worry and feel anxious. But be encouraged. While worry is a part of life, it doesn't have to dominate it. God offers peace in the midst of the storm. He is sovereign, present, bigger than your problems, and always right on time. Trust Him and you can be anxious for nothing. All right. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you guys. My name is Tim. I am one of the pastors here. And uh, let's welcome all our campuses who are joining us around the state of New Jersey. Glad you guys are here for week two of our series, Anxious for Nothing. Now, this is a series on anxiety, and it's kind of the perfect time, right, as the fall ramps up. It's like all of our schedules, kids go back to school, sports, all the business. It can be a bit overwhelming. And so what we're doing is for three weeks as a church, we have officially declared war on worry, all right? And let me tell you, it is a war that you can win with God's help. Uh, I do believe that as we open God's word and actually don't just take it into our head, but let it move into our heart, here's what's going to happen. You're going to see your peace increase and your stress decrease. Doesn't that sound good? All right? Now, if, you str- if you're here today, you struggle with stress or you've got a busy mind, anxious thoughts, or you have chronic worry about a certain situation. Maybe you have fear about what might happen in the future. I believe God wants to write a new chapter in your story this fall, and I think he wants to start that today. So let's dive in. I want everybody to kind of, this is a participation kind of church. We do stuff together. So uh, I want everybody to make two fingers like this and put them on your temples. Put a finger on each temple. Every campus, go ahead. It's not weird. Just go ahead. Now, (laughs) now we're going to pray a prayer that I guarantee you have never prayed before, okay? Okay, you can pray it right after me. Ready? Here we go. Ready? Lord, I thank you for my amygdalae. Let's pronounce that funny word again. Amygdalae. Amygdalae. You're touching them right now. You are pointing to the two almond-shaped clusters of nuclei on either side of your brain. And if you didn't have these two things going on right now, you wouldn't be here. I guarantee you. Your amygdalae are part of the brain's limbic system right here, and they are responsible for triggering certain emotions, specifically fear and anxiety. In other words, whenever you encounter a dangerous situation or life feels out of your control, you can thank your amygdalae. In fact, this week it was your amygdalae that made you, oh, jump back onto the sidewalk when that truck raced by you. It was your amygdalae that when the lightning cracked, like you, you, know, you ran indoors for cover. It was your amygdalae when you went to pet the dog and he kind of snarled at you, put your hand back. You didn't even think about it. That's because your amygdalae is kind of like a home security system, right? Same you guys have on your house or apartment. If an intruder breaks a window or tries to pry a lock open, what happens, right? Whoop, 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 bells, alarm, floodlights, get up, get out, get safe. That's what your amygdalae automatically does every day without you even thinking about it. You, you, you didn't walk out into the street and consciously think, oh, well, here comes a Mack truck. A little bit bigger than me. I think I'm smaller. Why don't I take a step back and retract? You don't even think about it. 
You're just like, whoa, snap, the thing goes by you, right? It's why you're alive. The amygdala is something God gave you, and it prompts a reaction in your body before it even knows that it's needed. You know what happens when your amygdala goes off? Your whole body responds. The minute they fire, your pupils dilate. They're going to take in more light because they want to see the situation. Your breathing gets faster. It's more oxygen for your lungs if you've got a flight. <laughs> your pulse rate increases. Why? It's pumping more blood into your heart because if you've got a fight, you're going to be ready. Adrenaline turns you into Hercules. You are faster. You are stronger. Your body is ready for fight or flight. Did you know, even when your amygdala goes off, your bowel system reacts, sometimes embarrassingly, <laughs> right? You ever have that? I was so scared I peed a little bit. You know, that's, that's your amygdala emptying your body of unnecessary weight because it's like you got to be faster, smarter, ready to run or lighter, ready to fight. So you thank God for your amygdala, both of them. They protect you. What you don't want is a set of amygdala that's hypersensitive. Just as you don't want a home alarm system that goes off the minute a dog barks or the wind blows on your screen door, you don't want that in your home and you don't want that in your head. But that's exactly what anxiety is and where it comes from. Anxiety has been described as amygdala with an itchy trigger finger. <laughs> in Max Lucado's book, Anxious for Nothing, Finding Calm in a Chaotic World, he says, toxic anxiety is amygdala gone haywire. <laughs> they, they see a mole on your skin and think cancer. They see a dip in the economy and think recession. They hear your teenagers complain and conclude they'll be on drugs before they leave the house. <laughs> uh, perpetual anxiety is the mental alarm system that never quite turns off. Now, uh, understand the way that God designed your body. Uh, limited anxiety is actually helpful, right? It, it protects you. You need to be alert of danger. But what you don't want is toxic anxiety, living in a constant state of hyper alert. Here's why. Part two of today's biology lesson. Science nerds, you enjoying this? Some of you are like, this is awesome. <laughs> Some of you are like, I failed that in high school. Uh, <laughs> this is free science, people. Okay, here, listen. God created your brain to replenish itself, actually, with natural mood elevators like dopamine and serotonin. They're actually like tranquilizers. They restore a sense of joy and peace and harmony. Everything's right with the world. But if your amygdala doesn't stop going, those tranquilizers don't do their work. And your brain never rests. It's always on. It's spinning with anxious thoughts. It's scanning the horizon for the next possible catastrophe that you're convinced is coming. And so you become very edgy. Restless, anxious, this is where anxiety comes from. That's the bad news. But I have good news. <laughs> the good news is this. The same God who created your amygdala can calm them as well. Amen? Amen. See, anxiety is a part of life. It doesn't have to dominate it, though. That's what God doesn't want your life to be dominated with anxiety or itchy amygdala. He wants to calm it, but he doesn't do it with a sedative. He doesn't say pop a pill. Rather, he wrote a prescription for peace found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. This is kind of our anchor passage for the whole series. I introduced you to these verses last Sunday. Some of you actually spent this past week trying to memorize them, and that's a good idea because God's word is a weapon in the war against worry. But today, we're going to read these out loud again, all of our campuses in Unionson. So let's kind of sit up straight. Come on, put your shoulders back. 
Deep breath, okay? Fill your lungs with air and your heart with hope. Let's read it like we mean it, church. Here we go. Ready? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, is, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is, yeah, give God a hand. That's a prescription, man. It's awesome. Now listen, this is Dr. Paul's prescription for peace in an age of itchy amygdalae. The Apostle Paul wrote those words, be anxious for no thing, but I know what some of you are saying. Uh, The guy over here in section four is saying, uh, be anxious for nothing. Yeah, right. You telling me with my daughter in the hospital, how? Uh, Be anxious for nothing, says the the unemployed man in seat four over here. Anxious for nothing, says a mom with a a baby born with special needs. (laughs) Oh, today, anxious for nothing, now that divorce proceedings are underway. I mean, it's one thing to be calm and peaceful when life is going good. But what about when life gets hard? A lot of you know what hard looks like this fall, don't you? (laughs) I talked to a lot of students and and, and teachers last week starting school, right? There's all the anxiety, you know, will my kids fit in? Will they keep up with the workload? Will they fall in with the wrong crowd, you know? Some people uh, sent their, you know, first year of college. They got their daughter in college, you know, and and how are we going to pay for college? That's anxiety. We took out a student loan, more anxiety, (laughs) Will he or she get a job? What about my job, my career? It's the fall. I hope my business doesn't tank. Will I make my numbers? Uh, Be anxious for nothing. My my marriage is in trouble. Someone over here is saying, yeah, bro, at least you're married, okay? I'm still single, and uh, I'm worrying if I'm ever going to have a relationship. Do you feel your amygdala starting to itch, (laughs) right? So did Paul. See, we read a verse like this, and it seems like a Hallmark card, you know? Don't worry. Be happy. But we forget what the Apostle Paul was going through when he wrote these words. You remember? He penned this passage from, anybody? Prison. He was in jail. Paul was an exhausted old man in his 60s when he wrote these words from a prison in Rome. He had been repeatedly whipped, flogged, beaten, and stoned, left for dead. His crime? Preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you peered in that prison window and saw Paul huddled in the corner, you would see that his back looked like a filet flesh It was a spider web of scars from his beatings, bent over, going blind, awaiting execution. And while handcuffed to a Roman guard, he, with his free hand, he writes these words, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And here's the promise. And wherever you are, whatever's happening to you, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, it's supernatural, is going to guard like a century your hearts, your emotions, your minds, your thoughts through Christ Jesus. What was Paul's secret? I mean, what did that old jailbird know about finding peace in a prison? Well, here's the answer. From his gloomy prison cell, Paul discovered a secret. 
that true peace does not come from the absence of problems, but the presence of a sovereign Savior. They, they could take away Paul's freedom, but they couldn't take away his Christ. And Paul believed defiantly. He said, I 100% believe I serve a good God who is in complete control over every detail, even when life seems out of control. Now, we learned a fancy word for that last week. You remember it? We call it sovereignty. Can you say it? Sovereignty. And you see that word reign or rule, somebody ruling from a throne. And Paul's basically like, hey, I'm here in prison, but my God in heaven is still on his throne, ruling over the whole universe. And even what I'm going through, because he is good and completely trustworthy, he's working even this together for my good. So I have peace in his perfect plan. Even though Paul could wring his hands and be anxious and worried and panicking, he says, you know what? I actually feel calm. C-A-L-M. I am calm. Could you use some calm in your life this fall? Because God wants to give it to you. When anxiety attacks, Paul says, let me teach you how to stay calm. And his prescription is right here. It has four steps. He says, the first thing you need to do is you need to acknowledge control. That God is still good even when life isn't. <laughs> He's working it all together to for good. He's sovereign. So you need to ask him for help. What did he say? I want you to present everything. Pray about everything. Present all your requests to God. And then watch. Leave, L, your worries with him. In prayer, something supernatural happens. It's not us crossing our fingers. When we pray, we make a trade with the sovereign God of the universe. We give him our worries, and he says, I'm going to give you my peace. And then finally, M, he says, you got to think about what you think about. This is a mental battle. I want you to meditate on good things. Whatever is true, whatever is excellent, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Notice he didn't say, I want you to think about Netflix and cable news and Instagram feeds and black. He doesn't say any of that. The reality is you can't fill your mind with all that junk if you want to have peace. That's next Sunday's message. It's think about what you think about. We're going to give you a mental strategy by which you take captive negative thoughts and you make them obedient to Christ so you can win this war on worry. C-A-L-M. Control, ask, leave, meditate. This is Paul's prescription for itchy amygdalae. And today, I want to unpack steps two and three in a message I'm calling, Keep Calm and Carry On. You guys seen this before on the internet? Probably a bunch of memes out there. It's actually not from the internet. This is a British war poster from 1939. Do you know that? As the Nazis were about to bomb London, uh, everybody was filled with fear and anxiety. They didn't know what would happen next. Were they going to be demolished, firebombed? And so King George, this is a symbol of George's office, the crown, the sovereign crown. He said, I want you to make posters. And he had this one commission that said, keep calm and carry on. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's kind of like that British stiff upper lip, you know, kind of where it comes from. And uh, I went to London this summer, and these are everywhere. They're on buses and posters and mugs and pillows. They tattoo them on dogs. It's everywhere. Well, I think the poster only got it half right. In the spirit of Philippians, I think it should read, keep calm and pray on. Because prayer is your most powerful weapon in the war on worry. Amen? Say that with me. Keep calm and pray on. Now, before we jump in, I want to make the same disclaimer I made last week. I don't want to give you the impression that if you're here and you struggle with anxiety, you can just like 
you know, wave it away with a magic wand or some simple saying or a memory verse. Uh, specifically, if you're here today and you struggle with mental illness or you are one of 40 million Americans uh, who struggle with medical anxiety disorder, let me just be super clear. God's healing path for you may include the help of medication or therapy, and that is completely fine. If you're here today, you take meds, you do therapy, do not think for a minute that you are somehow a second-class Christian. You are not less of a Christian because you have panic attacks. You, you are not less of a believer because you have depression or anxiety. You are not somehow weak for having mental illness. You are created in the image of God. He's crazy about you. You are fully worthy of his love, amen? Full stop, period. So when I talk about anxiety in this series, understand I'm not talking about medical anxiety, where there's mental illness or a chemical imbalance. I'm mainly talking about situational anxiety, where, where certain situations cause you irrational fear or worry in the general population. We all have that. Uh, for instance, I had a young woman email me this week. She said, um, Pastor Tim, I'm not an anxious person. Uh, I actually have a good job. I have great friends. I sleep very well at night. By default, I'm a positive, peaceful person, except when it comes to my relationship status. I'm approaching 40, and I'm still single. I'm not married, and whenever I start thinking about it, my mind starts racing. I, I worry about being all alone. I, I, I fear the lack of a partner. I, I, I'm frustrated. I get worried. It actually makes my heart palpitate when I think about it a lot. I feel angst about the future. That's situational anxiety. And that's part of being human. Now, I'm not a doctor, obviously. I'm a pastor. So what I want to do is teach you about the spiritual part of this equation, right? There's a biochemical part, there's an emotional, and there's a mental part. But today, I want to teach you about the spiritual part of Paul's antidote for anxiety. You want peace? Here's what I prescribe. Here's what Paul says. Be anxious for nothing, got it. But in everything by, let's say the highlighted words together, by prayer and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul says there's four things that you got to take action with against anxiety. See, up to this point, we've just been reminding ourselves about God's character, his sovereignty, his love, his perfect plan. But Paul says now, now you got to fight. You got to put on the gloves. It's time to take action. When you are faced with worry, what do Christians do differently than the rest of the world? We choose prayer over despair. Can you say it with me? We choose prayer over despair. God's pathway to peace is paved with prayer. Be anxious for no thing. Instead, pray about everything. It reminds me of a father who was teaching his uh, little girl how to pray the Lord's Prayer, right? You've probably done that, parents. He'd repeat the lines and say, you know, say these after me. And one day his little girl says, I do it myself, Daddy, you know. And he listened with pride as his little girl repeated each word, you know, our Father who's in heaven, right up to the very end of the prayer when she prayed, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from email. <laughs> How many say amen to that, right? You're like, I'd have peace in my life, man, right? God tells us, I want you to pray about everything in everything. By prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, you let your request be made known to your God. Notice the four different types of prayer, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and requests. They are similar, but they're not the same thing. Paul is about to teach you about the four kinds of prayer that settle the soul with God's perfect peace. Notice he says supplication. 
And again, this is just a fancy word. Most people read and they think, oh, it's like the King James or something like that. It means the same thing as prayer. It doesn't. It comes from a Latin word, which actually means to humbly plead on your knees. It's when you get on your knees before somebody who has great power and say, I need you to do something that I can't possibly do for myself. I need you to marshal all your power and resources to do for me and those I love what I can't do for myself. There's humility in it. It's like one of those uh, movies you watch, right, in uh, medieval times or something when a peasant woman like kind of comes into the throne room of a king and he's up on, you know, the altar and he's got his throne and scepter and he's got a crown on and she's in rags and, and she says, my lord, I can't even look at you, right? You're a righteous and a, and a generous sovereign and I beseech you, would you please have mercy on me and grant my request. You see movies like that? That's supplication. Now watch the connection to prayer. In prayer, the Christ follower gets on her knees in the throne room of heaven and pleads with the sovereign king of the universe, who also happens to be her daddy, and says, I need you to do for me, God, what I can't do for my own family. W would you use your power to do something I can't? See, when the world worries, the world wrings its hands. But when Christians have worries, we bend on our knees in supplication. We humbly ask for heaven's help. We call on our king. We draw on God's power. We call on our daddy God to help with our situation because where our resources are limited, his are unlimited. So here's an example of a supplication prayer. You might pray, Father, I am facing a gap in my finances this fall. I, I, I don't have the tuition. Father, I don't, I can't, we can't make the mortgage payment. And, and God, I'm doing all I can to increase my income and lower debt, but God, I need heaven's help with my finances. So Father, it says in the Bible, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Would you please provide a job for me? Would you pour out your favor with my customers? God, I can't do that. You can. That's supplication. And notice it's done with humility. It's, it's a humble request. You, you never make demands of God. We humbly ask for heaven's help for an infinite God to do something his finite kids can't. And we make specific requests. Point number three, if you're taking notes, when Paul says, let your requests be made known to God, he's saying, I want you to tell God exactly what you need. Don't be vague. Don't be fuzzy. Don't be general. Pray the particulars of your problem. I want to show you how practical this is. If you're single, how do you pray for a partner? How do you pray in a girlfriend or a wife, you know, or a husband? I'm right. Let's be practical. I want to show you an amazing prayer in the Bible. This is amazing. Highly specific request in the book of Genesis. Uh, in Genesis, Abraham wanted to find a wife for his son Isaac, right? And so he tells his servant, I want you to go find a wife for my son. And so the servant's like, okay, <laughs> how, do I, how do you pick a wife for somebody else? And so in Genesis, he goes down to the local well. It's like the watering hole where everybody is. And standing alongside the well, listen to this prayer that he prayed to God in Genesis. Listen to his prayer. He says, oh, Lord God of my master Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. It's not for me, it's for him. 
See, God, I'm standing here beside the spring, and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. Here you go. This is my request. I'm going to ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. And if she says, yes, have a drink, and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you selected for Isaac's wife. <laughs> now, is that a specific request or what, man? That's like, right? I mean, that is pretty, like, hey, if a girl says, I'll water your camels too, that's it, right? Like, here's the sign. What's the point? Notice, notice he didn't pray generically, God, someday I'd like to be married. He said, this is my specific request. God, I'm going to find a lady, and I'm going to ask for a drink from her jug, okay? Now, who's laughing over here? Somebody was just like, <laughs> some of the filthy mind here. I don't know. Listen, well, listen, listen. Don't misinterpret this. You understand? Like, you don't take a verse like this and be like, oh, I get it. I go down to the watering hole, I'm going to the little bar and start asking about women and jugs and don't be stupid, people. God gave you a part, the rest of your brain. It's not just the Amandalia, all right? You get the point, all right? Back with me, track. My point, and I have one, is that man envisioned an exact dialogue and he prayed a specific prayer in faith for relationship direction. And scripture says, before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. God answered. God heard his prayer from heaven. And he said, I'm going to do for you what you couldn't possibly pull off yourself. And that servant went home. And this is why we're here today. It's why we're Christians. There was an important point in the lineage there. I, why does God ask us to do specific requests? Here's why. I think he asks us to make specific requests because when it gets answered, we will have no doubt it's him. <laughs> it has nothing to do with us. I keep a prayer journal, so I write prayers. I, I just, I'm a little ADHD. Uh, that's shocking to you. Uh, and so I kind of, it helps me when I write my prayers out. It just kind of focuses them. And I started a new journal, a prayer journal, at the beginning of every year. I got about 15 of them doing it for about 15 years. And it's full. You can see, I, I pray about some of you behind your back and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, I write them down here, and what's so fun is this week I was like going back and I'm looking page after page like that was God. Oh my gosh, then he did this. I didn't, I didn't even connect the dots. I prayed about that four months ago. And I look in these, and it's just basically a record of how God has moved without a doubt, how he has moved mountains in my life and come through for me. And I know he has for you too. So I want you to be specific this week in your prayers. Yeah, you know, oh, give God a praise. Absolutely. He can, guys. And we're going to pray today. Listen, I'll tell you about some of them in a minute. It, it, let's say, what's your big source of anxiety this fall, right? Maybe it's work. Let's say you're facing anxiety at work. Understand, it's one thing to pray, Lord, please bless my meeting tomorrow, you know? That, that's how most Christians pray, right? Some of you are going in Monday and you're like, bless the meeting, it's going to be a hard one. I'm challenging you, get specific. Tell God exactly what you need. You say, Lord, I have a conference with my supervisor at 2 o'clock and she intimidates me. She does, Jesus. Would you please give me a spirit of peace so I can sleep well tonight? I don't want to wake up at 3 o'clock. God, grant me the wisdom so I can enter that meeting prepared with the right answers in my mind. And in Holy Spirit, would you do something I can't? Would you actually go ahead of me and soften her heart and give her a generous spirit? 
Help us have a gracious conversation in which both of us benefit and your name is honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, that's a specific supplication. And I guarantee you, you will know at 3 o'clock whether God answered it or not. See, in my prayer journal, I have all sorts of specific prayer requests. I have a specific daily prayer that I pray for, for one of my kids uh, every morning. I prayed it for three years. She entered high school, and I felt like my anxiety rising. You know, you got you, you with me, okay? You send your daughter to public high school, and, you know, so she's entering high school, and I'm getting nervous. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pray. But it wasn't enough because I used to pray like, you know, bless the kids at school. So here's the prayer that I've been praying for three years. Ever since my daughter entered freshman year, I pray, Lord Jesus, would you lead my daughter to the college of your choice? Not my choice, not her choice, of your choice, where she will discover your purpose for her life and a faithful, porn-free husband. That is my three, why are you laughing? That's a serious <laughs> prayer request. I'm serious. I'm serious, man. Kidding me? You got to pray that in, man. That is a three-part prayer request. It is highly specific. I pray it every single day. You can ask me in 10 years how it turns out, okay? But that, that's how you got to go to war for your kids. Remember, God is a good, good father. He loves the sound of his children's voice. And so Paul says, you tell them exactly what you need. I mean, right now, if Jesus showed up here on this stage, he said, Tim, you're done. Okay, Jesus, I'm here. He's in the middle of this anxiety series, and he looked you in the eyes and he said, JP, what do you want me to do for you? What would you answer him? If you said, Sam, what do you want me to do for you? Not Tim, Jesus is speaking. How would you answer that? Do you know that's not like a wish fulfillment? That is a direct question that Jesus asked in Luke chapter 18. It's actually a strange story. Jesus is walking along the street, and there's a beggar there. He's blind. Everyone knows. That. I don't know if he's holding the sign or his eyes are out, whatever. Everyone knows he's like the blind beggar in the town. And Jesus walks by him, and in Luke 18, it says, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And I remember thinking, reading that and thinking, well, duh, <laughs> right? I mean, isn't it kind of obvious? Everyone knows this guy is blind, how many of you know that when Jesus asks a question, it's not for his benefit, it's for yours? He wants to hear you say it. Jesus already knew that man's need, but he wanted to hear him say it for himself. He said, be specific. Show me your serious. Tell me your specific supplication. Lord, he said, I, I, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God, and all who saw it praised God too. Guys, Jesus wants to do the same thing for you. God wants to hear your voice. It's an invitation. Let your request be made known to me. When you pray and you share your heart with your Father, you understand God never puts you on hold. He doesn't say, I'm in a meeting, text me later. As a child of the King, you have 24-7 access to the throne room of grace. Your sins have been forgiven by Christ. You're covered by his blood. There's no condemnation. You're filled with his spirit. And at any moment, you can barge into the throne room of grace and ask him for help. So think about that thing that causes you anxiety and worry this fall. And I want you to imagine Jesus was standing here asking you that question. What do you want me 
to do for you? How would you answer that? Uh, For some of you, I know the answer comes right to mind, right? You're thinking of a situation. Someone in your family needs healing. There's a a child being bullied in school over here. Or or you suspect your kids are vaping or using drugs. And And I believe Jesus is asking, so tell me, what do you want me to do for you? Heal your marriage? Dismiss the lawsuit? Help your business? Rescue a spouse who's tied up in temptation? Or one who's in hormonal freefall? Help her? What, what do you want me to do for your aging parent who needs home care? Is there a mountain in your life that needs moving? Because that's what I'm an expert at. What is overwhelming you? Something in your life that is too big for you, but it ain't too big for your God. Don't be shy. You ask him for his help. There's a guy named Bill Fry who wrote a book called um, The Dance of Hope. And he tells a story as a young kid of how he was trying to pull a tree stump out of the Georgia dirt one day. He was 11 years old, and basically his uh, chores as a boy was gathering firewood in the forest behind his house. And so he'd search the woods after school for tree stumps and, that were cut down and basically chop them up for kindling. And so one day he finds this large stump behind the house, and he tries to unearth it, and he literally, for four hours, he's pushing, he's pulling, he's crowbarring, trying to lever it out, but it won't budge. Why? Because the root systems of the stump were just so deep, he couldn't get this thing to move an inch. And he was still struggling and sweating with it when his father came home from work. And he spotted his son out in the woods there, and he came over to watch, and he said, how's it going? So he's like, I can't get this thing to even move. He says, oh, I think I see your problem. And the boy was like, you know, what? And he said, well, son, you're not using all your strength. And the 11-year-old exploded the way that teenagers do. I've been working all day. And he showed his dad. He's got blisters and bloody hands. He says, no, no, son, you're not using all your strength. That is, you haven't asked me to help you yet. And he rolled up his sleeves and got the stump out. Guys, anxiety management is like pulling out tree stumps. There are some problems that you have that have very deep root systems, and they seem immovable, and pulling them out is hard, hard work, but you don't have to do it alone. Paul says, ask your father for help. He's got the strength, and he has a solution. Will he solve the issue? Yes, he will. Will he solve it immediately? Maybe. We solve it in the exact way you thought, maybe. Or maybe he'll give you the grace to endure. Maybe he'll answer with fresh patience and, a, and peace or, or wisdom to deal with the problem in a way you can't even see right now. I want to challenge you. Don't be like that little boy with the orphan spirit. I'm all alone. No one trying to wrestle it out in your own strength. Uh, as I was writing this, I think God, somebody's here today, and you are wrestling with a deep-rooted problem this fall that is causing you all sorts of anxiety, and God is saying to you, you're not using all your strength. That is, you ain't asked me into the fight yet. Remember, prayer is the difference between the best that you can do and the best that God can do. Here's what I can do in my own strength, and prayer is what God can do in his unlimited strength. Ask your father for help. Summon his strength, and when he answers, don't you forget to thank him. Did you catch that last part of Paul's prescription? He says, in everything, by prayer, supplication, with what? Thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Paul says in this little recipe I'm giving you for prayer, here's what I want you to do. 
when you pray, here's your, your vat of prayer, I want you to sprinkle in gratitude all throughout the thing. In other words, among all your requests, God, help me. God, please give me. Lord, won't you show me? You should make sure you got plenty of these two wonderful words that melt the heart of your Father. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Giving thanks or gratitude is not just calling to mind the problems you face. It's calling to mind the blessings you already have. Most believers, when they pray, they just focus on the hole in their bucket. This is what I don't have. Stop. Look what's in your bucket already. Is there anything in there to say thank you, Lord, for? You know, do you see your friends? Do you see your family? Do you see your church, uh, your salvation, uh, eternal life, that you're forgiven, the love of God, the Holy Spirit? Season your prayers with gratitude, Paul says. Because you know what happens when you pray with gratitude? <laughs> it's like you slap handcuffs on anxiety and kick his butt out the back door. Get out and don't come back. Here's why. Gratitude and anxiety will never coexist. They won't share the same room. They won't share the same heart. And so the minute you pepper in your prayer, Lord, and I thank you for this. You've done it before. You'll do it again. He's like, you suck the oxygen out of worry's world. In gratitude, you remember God's blessings. You recall his breakthroughs in your life and said, you did it before, God. Do it again. Uh, my, my, my prayer journal is full of those kind of prayers. Let me tell you how this works. So on Monday, I'm writing my prayers out, and I'm writing about this one big thing. It's causing a little bit of anxiety for me. It's not a big deal. It's just like there's this big like, decision that's coming up, and it's a project that we've been working on for like 10 months, and we've worked super hard, super proud of the team, but the outcome is completely out of my control. I don't love that. <laughs> I prefer prayers that I can have some influence over. And so I keep my prayer journal, and I'm like, Lord, I can't, I, can't, I can't control this, and there's this contingency, and if this happens, and actually, as I'm writing out that prayer request, my anxiety's going up. <laughs> I feel like my blood pressure rising. And so I'm like, pause, and I start going back through my prayer journal, and I review what God's done over the last nine months. And I look back at the start of the year, remember when we were praying and fasting? And I look back in January, and uh, without getting into specifics, my son had a huge need at school. Like, I mean, it was one of those, like, we, God, we need all the stars to align, okay? And I look, and literally within 15 days, God threads the needle. He answers with this specific provision. I'm like, just a miracle, Father. Who are you and who am I that you would do this for your son? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I felt my confidence coming up because the Lord's done that before. He'll do this again. It was in February. We had the bright idea to invite Mariano Rivera to Liquid Church. Uh, he's a Yankees pitcher, so we know he's close to the Lord's heart. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, wouldn't that be awesome? Like, it's so cool. I'm like, it's a long shot, you know. He speaks all over the world. We don't have money to even pay him or anything like that. We're just like, would you just come as a fellow Christian, you know? And, uh, right? And I'm like, just praying about, guys, Mariano Rivera is coming to Liquid for free in two weeks. That's favor. That's God doing something that only he can do. See, in prayer, you don't just rehearse your problems. You remember God's answers. You recall his breakthrough in, in, in your life. You remember, these are the mountains you moved for me. My life is littered with them. So is yours. If you are not careful, your prayers can become this one big laundry list of problems and complaints. You know, God, I don't have this, and I need this, and change that. It's all petition. And it actually raises your anxiety. 
So Paul says, I want you to sprinkle in a generous dose of gratitude in your prayer. Thank you, Lord. When I do that, my heart fills with peace and confidence because I see his provision. My problems actually don't seem so big anymore, (laughs) but my God seems huge. That's what gratitude does. It right-sizes your problems and supersizes your Savior. You, You pray about the cancer and you say, and Lord, of course I'm asking for healing, but Lord, so the cancer came back, that's okay, I will not worry, because you did it before, Lord, do it again, amen? And so, you know, my company cut back this fall, or my job got transferred. That's okay. I can look back 18 months ago. God, you helped me start over before. Lord, do it again. So I got, I got blindsided by the breakup, and my heart hurts, Lord. But I believe you still have a hope and plans and a good future in store for me. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. That's what you're doing in prayer. You are asking him for help. And then, L, you are leaving your worries with him. It it, it may not be answered overnight, church, but since you trust his heart, you can leave it with him. You can make that supernatural trade. You'll never get this trade anywhere in life where your God says, give me your problems, and in exchange, I'm going to give you my peace. You got a problem? I want you to cast it to the cross and let Jesus worry about it. He saved you. He can save you from that situation. The Apostle Paul, or uh, Peter, so we've been talking about Paul. You guys know Peter. He actually wrote a verse on anxiety. I just want to share this. This is so cool. The Holy Spirit just popped this out for me this week. Peter wrote this. He said, cast all your anxiety on Jesus. Because why? Because he cares for you. Do you notice the verb cast? Like, isn't that a weird word? Like, cast your anxiety. Um, Anybody remember what Peter was? He's a fisherman. You got it? Some of you are like, oh, I see, like he cast, no, he didn't, he didn't use a rod and reel. First century people, he used to cast a net. That's how you went fishing. And so I imagine Peter actually writing that verse, and, and he's imagining being out in the lake, right? Because he, he, would, he would cast the net as far as he could out into the lake. And if you remember when he went fishing without Jesus, he'd bring it back, and all night it's like it's empty again. <laughs> and Jesus was like, I got an idea. Why don't you cast it on the other side? <laughs> And so he's like, okay, Jesus, because you say so. You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. I'm going to do it. And he he cast it out. And what happened? It came back what? Full of fish. It's breaking the boat. It's a miraculous provision. I want you to keep that image of casting in your mind. Peter says, cast all your anxiety on Christ because he cares for you. When you give God your problems, he gives you his provision. You give God your worries, he gives you his peace. You give God your weakness, he gives you his strength. Jesus is saying to you, cast all all your anxiety on me because I love you. I gave my life for you. And you think this is big? You got a problem, church? You got a mountain that needs moving? Cast it to the cross and let Jesus, your Savior, worry about it. He'd love to trade your problems for his perfect peace. Amen? Amen. Guys, that's how you create calm in your life. Control belongs to God, so I'm going to ask him for help, and I'm going to leave my worries with him. So keep calm, church, and pray on. (laughs) The pathway to peace is paved with prayer. Amen? Amen. So we're going to pray today. We're going to have a little old prayer sesh right now. Because I was was writing this message, I I honestly felt God say, Tim, don't don't just preach on prayer. I want my people to pray. I mean, we're in God's house, so we're going to talk to Daddy. Is that all right? 
And here's what I want you to do in your head. I want you to imagine Jesus is right here in this room. Actually, you don't have to imagine. He is in this room. Amen? He's right here. How do we know? He said, wherever two or three are gathered, I'm right in the middle of them. So Jesus is here. The lines are open. You have a hotline to heaven. And I want you to imagine Jesus is asking you this question directly. What do you want me to do for you? And here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask you in 30 seconds to turn to your neighbor. Could be the person you came with. Uh, if you're alone, a stranger might be sitting next to you. And then you're like, now I have anxiety. <laughs> do I, do, just like step over. Don't worry about it being weird, okay? Everyone here is weird. So just roll with it, all right? I, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to either share a request and answer this question. Short, just a few words, maybe a phrase. What do you want God to do for you this fall? It may just be like, I want God to give my son a new circle of friends. I, I, I want God to heal my father who's in the hospital. Just be specific. Put it out there. We want God to help us start a family. Just a, what, your, what your quick request is. Or a praise report. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I got I, gratitude. I got to give thanks to God. What he's doing right now in my life. I got a new job. I got to praise God for that. Maybe you're saying, you know what? My, my child is finally walking in sobriety. I'm, th I'm praising. Thank you, Lord, for that. Share a blessing. You, you may be like, we fasted, we're pregnant, <laughs> you know, all right? So I'm going to give you 30 seconds for this. Turn to someone sitting around you and share either a prayer request or praise report. Don't let it cause you anxiety. 30 seconds, and then we're going to pray together. Go ahead, church, go ahead. Okay, all right, now listen. Here's what we're going to do. Back with me, guys. We're going to pray right now, and this is a big deal right now. This is, this is the body of Christ coming together. There's not two or three, there's not 20 or 30, there's not two, 100, 300, there's two, 3,000, 5,000 people. We're going to cast our worries on Christ. We're going to kick anxiety out the door, and we're going to claim the promise of Jesus. And so before you pray, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. In Matthew 18, Jesus said this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask for, my Father in heaven will do it for you because he's that kind of father. For where two or three come together as my, my followers, I am there among them. So Jesus is here. He's saying, you ask anything in my name, and I'll do it for you. I might not answer it exactly how you thought I would, but I'm going to respond. So church, we're going to lift our voices. We're actually going to lift our prayers verbally to heaven. At every campus, I want to hear the room full of God's children lifting up prayers, supplications, requests, and praises to God. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let's do that now. Pray with the person that you just shared with. If you don't see someone in your group, just invite them right on in. Go ahead, lift it up, guys. It's not weird. Just bow on our head. Father, we thank you. You are a mountain-moving God. Mountains bow down at the name of Jesus. Every knee bows at the name of Jesus, Father God. You have given us life. You have conquered sin and death and Satan. And Father God, we are free to come into your throne room of grace. And these are our requests, God. I pray that you would answer them in your perfect sovereign will and wisdom. And Father, that you would do it not just for the good of your kids, but for the glory of Christ. Let us look back 
at the end of this fall and say, I remember praying about that. I opened it up to a stranger. I put that seed in the ground. And look what the Lord did. What can't he do? You haven't failed us, God. You haven't lost the battle. So we commit these things to you, Father. Hear our requests. Empower us now with your spirit as we represent Jesus this week. In Jesus' name, everyone said together. Amen. Amen. Give him a praise, God. Your God, he's powerful. He's powerful.